That is kind of the, the centerpiece. Who is the Christ? Who is Jesus? And um, I guess uh, one of the things that I get to observe is uh, my wife, Patty, directs the New Covenant Arts Academy. And so they have like 60 students of piano and uh, a few of, muse, of uh, voice and guitar and ukulele. But one of the things that I get to observe in her is how she tries to convey to the parents that it really is incumbent upon them to work with their children to practice. Because if, if they don't practice, they won't really progress. And so the, the practicing becomes an essential part of the work that produces the fruit of being able to play the piano or an instrument or to sing. And I thought about that, and I thought that's really what we need to remember as we work through the book of Hebrews. Because this is a very complex book. And it is um, a challenge to get at what it all means. And we're not going to get at all of what it means, but we're going to take some pieces of it. And um, my, my, my encouragement is to stick with this. And even though it is uh, really difficult work right now in the beginning the more we work through it the more all of this is going to begin to fall into place and you're going to be able to see the big picture so my my word this morning is encouragement Um, I want you to to know that I realize that it's a challenging book um, and I wouldn't be preaching it I think I've told you that um, if God hadn't told me to (laughs) I've tried to get out of it. Um, I gave some other options, First John, James, no. Um, this is the one that God kept drawing me back to. So we are in the second part of Hebrews 2 today. Last week, we were warned about the danger ahead. Do you remember the little clip from Lost in Space? Um, danger, Will Robinson, danger. <laughs> and so we kind of had a play or a pun on that. We We said, danger, new covenant, danger. Take a look at the warning um, that that, that was given to us uh, by the author of Hebrews uh, last last Sunday. And what that warning was really about was if we lose our, our moorings, if we lose our foundation, we are likely to drift away from God, from Christ Jesus. And so um, uh, Patty and I... uh, and Mary and David, several of us were in California, different places for different reasons this past week. Uh, But one of the things that I noticed was that every boat that I saw along the slips and uh, wherever, the ocean and the bay, whenever I saw a boat, it was moored, it was tied, it was attached. And the reason we do that is so that the boats don't drift away. And that's the word that this author of Hebrews is using in the warnings. Don't drift away from the foundations, from the moorings that hold you together. This past year, this uh, COVID-19 pandemic has been wreaking havoc on our lives, on our work, on our businesses. It has been uh, making us sick. It has been killing some people. It has been dividing us 
as people, even as churches. And I'd say that it's also been easy, more easy in a way, for us to succumb to temptations that come out of a pandemic. It's become easier for us to become angry with one another, to become divisive, to be separate, and to give up on things that were once so meaningful for us. And that breaks my heart. That, that makes me cry. And what I hear from people today, from even some folks who have called this place their home, what I hear from them is, I don't need the church. Uh, in essence, I don't need brothers and sisters in Christ. I've been fine without the church over this past year. I don't need to come to worship. I can worship God on my own. Now, you may be able to do that, but we lose out as a church, as a community of faith, because the whole point of the church has been to be the people of God, not the person of God. And so one of the challenges for us as congregations today is how do we convey the importance of the community of faith to be loving, to be serving, to be worshiping, to be praying together. As a congregation, we have lost some of that foundation. What we have forgotten is that we are not called to find people that see the world as we see it. We are called to find Jesus and to see the world as Jesus sees it. Jesus came to restore us. He came to rebuild us into a stronger community of faith, into a more resilient community. He came to do that for us. And we, we get a sense of that at the very beginning of our scripture for today in verse 10, which is linked back to verse 9 in chapter 2. So let me read those together because that is, in a sense, even though they're separate sections, they, they work together. What we do see is Jesus. Remember what we're looking for now. What we do see is Jesus, who was given a position a little lower than the angels, and because he suffered death for us, he is now crowned with glory and honor. Yes, by God's grace, Jesus tasted death for everyone. That's a key phrase. Jesus tasted death for everyone. And then it says in verse 10, God for whom and through whom everything was made chose to bring many children into glory. And it was only right that he should make Jesus, through his suffering, a perfect leader, a perfect leader fit to bring them into their salvation. So by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. What does Jesus' tasting death for us have to do with our drifting away from the Christian faith? 
What does it have to do with that? Well, I think this second half of chapter 2 tries to explain that to the church of which the author of Hebrews is writing. Ultimately, we begin by asking, what is God's purpose in Christ Jesus? What is God's purpose? Why is this author writing about this particular issue? What is the point? What is the purpose? And God's purpose in Christ Jesus is this. To lead many children, sons and daughters, to lead many children to glory. To lead many children to glory means to bring them to the fullness, to the consummation of the promise that has come to us from God in and through Christ Jesus. God's purpose in Christ, to lead the children of Abraham, to lead the children of the Hellenists, to lead the children of Gentiles, to lead us all to God's glory. And then this is how he puts it. He says, Jesus is the perfect leader to bring salvation to many of God's children. Jesus is the perfect leader. Now, um, it's an interesting word that is used. Archegon. That's the Greek word, archegon. And what it gets translated as differs according to almost every translation that you look at. Some, like the one we read for today, has it as leader. Some translate it as the pioneer. Some translate it as the prince or the hero. Some translate it as the captain or the founder. My favorite, and the one that I think is used specifically for today, is the champion. The champion. Many translations say it in many different ways. And they all have a sense of truth to it. But what we're looking at today is how Jesus is the champion, the perfect champion to lead many children to glory. God sent Jesus not to lead us to glory alone, but to enter, but to enter into our humanity and to join with us. You see, it's one thing to, to uh, guide people. It's another thing to become one of those people and then to lead them. You see, what Jesus did was he gave up his divinity for his full humanity to come and to suffer and to die for us so that his suffering and death might be that which leads us to follow him. Through this suffering, Jesus becomes a brother to every other human being. You are sisters to the Christ. You are brothers to the Christ because of what Jesus did for you. Let's take a closer look at this concept of the champion. And this is 
kind of a strange sermon theme, I know, but um, was Jesus a Navy SEAL? Um, My point in, in asking the question is the use of champion in this particular context is, um, is a particular kind of champion. In, um, in, in the first century culture, it would have made um, uh, a recognition, an allusion to some of the Greek mythology that was prominent in the Roman Empire. And so um, what they would have thought of when they heard this word champion would be uh, Hercules. You all remember the, the Greek half-god, half-human Hercules, uh, the divine hero who comes to rescue people and sometimes gets himself and others into trouble. So what the writer is saying is that the champion that has come for you is like Hercules, but there's a little bit of difference. And this is the difference. As the divine hero, the champion who comes to the aid of God's oppressed people doesn't just come as half God and half man. You see, that's what Hercules was. He had a human mother. His father was Zeus. And so... Hercules was half divine and he was half human. The author of Hebrews is trying to explain to us that Jesus is different. Jesus is 100% divine. And what he does is that as God sends Jesus as his son to earth, the son gives up his divinity and becomes 100% human. That's different than maintaining half of your divinity. So Jesus, this divine hero, this champion, who comes for us, comes incarnate. That's a big fancy theological word. Incarnate means that he has become human. Incarnate. He has become the, the body, the human flesh, the part of, of life that we have amongst us. And so when Jesus becomes incarnate, that's why I asked the question, was he a Navy SEAL? I mean, in our context today, if it was going to be half human and half God, then I could have said, was Jesus Superman, Right? Or, or a Batman, you know, Superman, you know, would have to deal with the kryptonite. You know, so he wasn't completely powerful, divine. And so what's different here is that these descriptions may have sounded like Hercules, but they lead us to something very different. What we see in Jesus is God who becomes fully human in the Son, with this purpose, to liberate us so that we might enjoy God's glory. He has come as the liberator. It's the second image that we get from this writer of Hebrews in this section. Now it gets translated um, in another way that I kind of liked. 
Um, he is our commando. <laughs> Think of Jesus as a military commando. Now you got my gist of was he a Navy SEAL? You see, when Jesus came, he came to earth to liberate us. Let's take a look at verses uh, 14 and 15 in our, in our text for today. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power over death. Jesus is our Navy SEAL. When you think about the Navy SEALs, I think about some of the spectacular special operations that they've been a part of in the short history that we've known about them. I've only known about them for the last couple of decades. But they have done some amazing things. It was a group of Navy SEALs that went and found Osama bin Laden. Tried to bring him back. They did bring him back. It was just dead instead of alive. But these are the people that you send to the most dangerous parts of the world that you might be safe. You might be protected. That you might be able to maintain your freedom. And so what happens here is that Jesus is like a Navy SEAL for us. He broke into the slaves' quarters, or let's use another image maybe, the POW camp, the prisoner of war encampment. So some of us have been slaves, we've been enslaved, we've been in bondage. Some of us are prisoners of war, we've been captured, we've been beaten, we've, we've suffered. And Jesus is breaking into the camp that you are a part of. And he is doing that to set you free. But as you know, being, in, being held in bondage constitutes a cost. The writer of Hebrews tries to explain the reason that we're held in bondage in slavery is because of the fear of death. You see, the fear of death can be intimidating. It can cause us to do irrational things. There was uh, a study done in a psychological, I heard about it through a psychological journal, but the study was uh, to, to, uh, to assess how people reacted differently when they were facing their own mortality. And so in this particular study, what, what they uh, did was they um, met with a group of municipal court judges. And half of them, they talked about the mortality of their lives. And they did this shortly before the judges went into court. The others they didn't talk about the mortality of their lives. The ones who were reminded of their deaths, their upcoming deaths, they required bail 10 times higher than the ones who didn't. Interesting. So the fear of death can cause us to do things that may not make complete sense. A lot of 
Psychologists also say that the fear of death can, uh, can impact us um, in, in many different ways. Uh, it can cause us to wear or not to wear sunscreen. <laughs> the fear of death. The fear of death can cause us to eat more healthfully or to eat less healthfully. It can cause us to uh, become addicted to uh, alcohol, drugs, food. Um, the fear of death can cause us to be prejudiced. It can cause interpersonal conflict. And it can even cause aggression. These are all the consequences of being enslaved to death. And more than death, the fear of death. And so why is Jesus so important, so essential for the Christian community? Because Jesus is the commando that has set you free from that fear. You do not need to be afraid because your life will not end. Now you will die someday, but your death will not be final. Your death has been given over to God, and God has given us a promise. And that gift that God has given us in that promise is the gift of eternal life. And so we, you and I, have nothing to fear about our mortality, about our deaths. Because even though we die, as Paul said, we live. And we live because of Christ. And therefore we live for Christ. The prison camp, the POW camp, the slave quarters, they have all been liberated from within by Jesus. And this is what makes this so interesting. Is that God didn't just say, here, I'm going to give you eternal life. Now you have eternal life. That's not what God did. God said, I'm going to give you my son. He's going to enter into the darkness of this world. He will become fully human so that he will need to be obedient and to trust me. And as he does that, even through his suffering and his death, I will grant him a resurrection and eternal life. And I will give him the glory and he will be seated at my right hand, the right hand of God, because he has been obedient and trustworthy as a human. What Jesus is doing is that he has come from God to be with us, to be among us, to lead us, because he is one of us. Jesus does something that the devil didn't expect. 
Jesus refused to obey the slave master. The devil should have known that when he tested him in the wilderness, those three temptations. But Jesus refused to obey the slave master. And that is really hard. That is really hard to not place your trust in the slave master, especially when the slave master has had so much power over your life for so long. One of the sad, sad stories that that I'm reminded of when I think about this is the work that that happens in Quito, Ecuador at Dunamis. Pastor Boris and Fernanda, his wife, care for these children, these young girls who have been caught up in sex and labor trafficking. And they take these girls and they give them a new home, a new identity, and they give them a new way to make money. And they're just young girls. Most of them are like 12 to 16 years old. And they have had some wonderful success stories. But what breaks my heart and makes me sad about their story is the girl on occasion who hears her pimp outside the gated fence and makes the decision to leave the home and go back to the life that she once lived. It's tempting because we don't know any other way. Because we haven't experienced the true freedom that Christ has given us. We can be tempted to find our hope in these other things. In our wealth. In our personal freedoms. Can do whatever I want. Even in our pimps. Things that distract us from death. Things that focus us on ourselves. But not on God. Jesus refused to obey the slave master. He obeyed his father. The one who sent him. The son of God does this for you. Not sitting on a royal throne not with a majestic weapon in his hand. He does this by becoming like you, suffering, dying. And he has the scars to show it. His back is filled with scars from the whip that has struck him 39 times. And his body is riddled with nail holes and torn from a spear in his side. All of this Jesus endured for you and me. And you and I, brothers and sisters, of the Christ, are set free. We are free from sin. We are free from fear. We are free from fear of death. The author has another allusion to this text. It was the prophet Isaiah. Now as descendants of Abraham, the people of Israel have come to expect that God would rescue them. And he would rescue them 
through the Messiah, but he would not rescue the angels. He would rescue them, the people, the humans. In our text, verse 16 conveys this illusion. Let me read verse 16 for you. We also know that the son did not come to help angels. He came to help the descendants of Abraham. And this is an allusion to Isaiah 41, um, verses 8 through 10. But as for you, Israel, my servant, my servant Jacob, my chosen one, descended from Abraham, my friend, I have called you back from the ends of the earth, saying, you are my servant, for I have chosen you, and I will not throw you away. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. Now, I don't know if you saw what was so interesting in some of these images that have been given to us. But there are images of us, for us, that tell us not to fear, to trust, to trust in God. Because that, that very God is present with us. So Jesus is our leader, our pioneer. He is our champion. That was the first image that we had. He is your military commando that will set you free. The Hercules image, remember? That, the author of Hebrews, is addressing to the Gentile, the Greek part of the congregation. So there are some Jewish Greeks and there are some Greek Greeks. And that image is addressed to them because that would have been very common knowledge for them. The Isaiah allusion in verse 16 is given to the Israelites, the descendants of Abraham. You see, this author is very, uh, this sermon that he is writing, I, I like to, con- to say that Hebrews is not a book, it's a sermon. And, and what he is writing here in this sermon is a comprehensive understanding of who Jesus is. Jesus is a merciful and a faithful high priest at the very end in verse 18 since he himself has gone through suffering and testing he is able to help us when we are being tested imagine Jesus now as a high priest that's the image he's using in verse uh, 18 here that that Jesus is the high priest who is responsible for the sacrifice that will take away the sins of Israel. The day of atonement. The day that all of the brokenness, all of the sin, all of that is placed on the head of a goat. And the goat is sent out into the wilderness bearing the sins of Israel. Jesus bears the scars of the cross. He bears the scars of human suffering and of death. He was tested by what he suffered. But by virtue of his suffering and his death, Jesus has compassion for you. 
And that is one of the reasons why it is so important for us to understand Hebrews. Because we are told that if we really want to understand who God is in, in the Old Testament, we need to be able to see who God is in the New Testament. So we look at, we look at God through the eyes of Jesus. Jesus was filled with compassion for humanity, for you and me. But God's love will not protect you from suffering. I wish I could say, because you are a Christian, you will never have to suffer again. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I mean, everybody would be a Christian. But that's not the way it is. We will still experience suffering. God's love will not protect you from suffering. But God's love will protect you in the midst of your suffering. God's love will be with you because he is a compassionate and grace-filled God. Jesus' suffering protects us in the midst of our suffering because Jesus was made perfect in the life of God through his suffering. Because he was obedient, because he was trusting, and he was faithful. Now, the high priest image that we conclude with at the end of chapter 2 is it's an important image that's going to carry through the rest of this book of Hebrews. These other images are important themes, but nothing like the theme of the high priest. And so as we take a closer look at this, it will tell us more clearly who Jesus is. Who Jesus is. Uh, Barbara, one of our worship team, is ill today, so she's not with us. Uh, talked with her on the phone this past week, and um, she said, Pastor, I've been reading through the book of Hebrews, and I am amazed. She said, it's all about who Jesus is, <laughs> and she's got it down. It's, she's exactly right. It's all about who Jesus is, and this is who Jesus is. Jesus is many things, but most importantly, Jesus is your high priest. Do you want to know why? Do you want to know why Jesus' role is important? Then you'll have to join me next Sunday as we begin to look at that part of the the book, Jesus the High Priest. You have been so attentive today, and I hope you have heard some things that have made sense and that will bring you life. Um, I invite you to pray with me. Gracious God, thank you for your gift of your son, the son, who came to free us. He broke through enemy lines, went by the power of the devil, and he took a hold of not only the fear of death, but he took a hold of death and crushed it so that we might have life today fully that we might live life fully without fear 
and that we might live life eternally. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We give you thanks and praise and glory. Amen.